Good morning, everyone. I greet you in our Savior's name and invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians, Paul's beautiful epistle to the church in Ephesus. And we want to look at uh, chapter 6, at a very familiar passage um, about the armor, but we'll not be looking or spending much time thinking specifically about the uh, armor in this, this message here this morning. So we'll begin at verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places." Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We read about the Christian life being a journey sometimes uh, to, uh, toward spiritual maturity, toward a heavenly home, but it's, it's not a leisurely stroll. The Christian life is also a battle, very much a battle, because there's opposition all along the way. Every step of progress is contested by our adversary, who is uh, plotting wiles against us. And we need to be warned and aware and sober and equipped. And that's one reason that, that uh, Paul was inspired to write this letter to the Ephesians. And as a backdrop to this passage, and with this being... Uh, the week before Easter, Holy Week, it's often called, I would like for us to uh, take a little time to listen, look at some excerpts from Matthew that uh, describe the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. And, and as, we, as this is read, um, Watch the opposition to Jesus, and, and watch Jesus. And Jesus is very central in, uh, in the passage that we're looking at 
in Ephesians, and here, and this describes the last of his life in a great battle, great opposition. I've asked um, Gary and Eric, and I wonder, Gabriel, whether you would agree to read a portion. I've got it here on a printout, so you can come up here in a row, like, uh, so we don't have a lot of gap, you know, from while we're waiting for the readers to get here. But Gary, you would be first, and just read down to uh, where the next name appears. Matthew. Matthew 26, 36 through 39. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then Matthew 26, 46 to 54. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Matthew 26, 57 through 68. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last... Two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, 
I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Matthew 27, 1-2 When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Matthew 27, 11-14 Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Matthew 27, 26 to 40. Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and they twisted a crown of thorns, and they placed it upon his head, and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of the skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink it. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and they put over his head the accusation written against him, This is the king of the Jews. The two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple, build it again in three days. And build it again in three days. Save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. 27 verse 50. 
And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Thank you very much, brothers. We know the story of Jesus, and we know that from the time of his birth, that the hosts of hell were arrayed against him. His life was threatened. Remember how he escaped from Bethlehem? And uh, through his life, different times, he was attacked. His character was attacked. His message was attacked. There was just constant resistance. So as, as Christians, as his disciples, as Jesus' followers, we should expect similar opposition, maybe not to the extent that Jesus did, but we should expect opposition because the same Enemies of Jesus are our enemies as well. And that takes us back to Ephesians 6. For in verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So uh, the spiritual life is a battle, a constant battle. There's always opposition, like I mentioned a bit ago. Opposition to growth and maturity, to fruitfulness. And he's describing here that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against uh, spiritual realities, spiritual foes. And what he's describing here is a, is a wrestling uh, till one throws the other down and is the victor and actually holds him down. It's, it's a conflict to the finish. So Paul is teaching us some things here about this battle. In verse uh, 11, the, the first part I want us to notice here is that he wants us to be able to stand. And so he tells us in verse 11, put on the whole armor, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And that tells me there needs to be preparation before the battle. Who knows what tomorrow's battles will be? Or this afternoon, what will come? What temptation, what trial, what personal struggle we may face? Is there strength when we need it for indifferent people and unserious Christians? We can't live carelessly and then expect suddenly when the temptations come and a trial comes, that we are filled with strength, but rather we're to put on and to be ready before. So there's preparation here. In verse 13, 
he says, take up the whole armor again, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. So that when the day of battle or the time of battle, the moment when the struggle comes, the temptation or the trial or whatever, that you will be prepared and the grace will be there for you when you need it. The protection and the weapons, the support from heaven during the trial. So there's preparation before and there is adequate supply during. We're equipped, adequate equip, equipment. And then uh, in the last part of that verse 13, and having done all to stand so that when the battle's over, you'll be found still standing on your feet, unshaken, maybe rattled a little, but not uh, defeated, still standing for the right and the holy, for the truth, and not having compromised, victorious. And having fought to the end, keep standing your ground, having done all to stand. Stay standing. There are more battles to come. This, this isn't the last one. Uh, such a victory in such a battle takes more than we can handle ourselves. It takes a strength that we do not have. And so back in verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, bringing his epistle to a close, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Let your hearts be strengthened. Find your strength in your union, in your fellowship with the Lord. Draw your strength from God, is what he is saying. And in the power of his might, in the force of God's strength, one translation put it. So how strong is that? Beyond all we can ask or think, he said in the, at the end, end of chapter 3. And how much stronger is that than we are? Infinitely stronger than we are. So it's in that strength that we find the victory. From the, for the victory, uh, we find victory through the strength that his power supplies. So there needs to be preparation before. So we are equipped during the battle, when the battle comes, and that we're able to win the victory and still be standing when it's done and ready to face the next. And Jesus stood. We saw, we read part of Jesus' life, the last days of his life and what he faced there. He stood and he will help us. We need to know the enemy. We need to know the nature of the battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places.
It's against uh, the spiritual forces and our carnal tendencies that Satan in his crafty wisdom knows how to entice men. Our struggle, so we can have personal conflicts, and most of us have those sometimes, and um, we need to understand that those kind of struggles aren't first against people. It can seem that way. It can really seem that way if you've had a, a, a difficult conversation with someone or there was a, yeah, an angry exchange or people were upset. It can seem that way. And often when there are differences like that in conflict or mistreatment, we can get sort of sidetracked into thinking that people are the enemy, but that's not... That's wrong. So we shouldn't attack people, vilify people, or find comfort in discovering faults in other people, but rather the real battle line here is within ourselves and with how we're responding. How does God, that's where the spiritual battle is. What does God want us to be? What does God want us to be becoming? In this situation, we saw Jesus. We saw Jesus in, in all his strength, meek, surrendered. He wasn't punching back, swinging at the high priests or kicking at the soldiers or spitting at them like Prisoners often did on the way to being crucified. That's what God wants us to be the way Jesus was. Earlier in Ephesians, he talks about masters and servants getting along, how they should relate to each other. Talks about children and fathers, parents. Talks about husbands and wives talks about brothers and sisters in the church, a lot of different relationships and a lot of potential for stress and conflict. And James says in his epistle that carnality brings strife when, when people aren't what they ought to be, when Christians aren't what they ought to be, that brings strife. And that's what was happening in the church at Corinth. And Satan and his hosts work through evil people, and they work through the fallen nature within us. But the ultimate enemy is Satan and his hosts, and that's why we pray, deliver us from the evil one. And the battle lines are within ourselves, within our minds and hearts. So there are personal conflict, conflicts, that's one battlefield. There can be discouraging circumstances where things are falling apart and uh, 
we feel defeated and discouraged and hopeless and despairing. God doesn't want us to be there. Or it can be another battleground is sinful thoughts and sinful behavior, impurities, or covetousness. And there'd be numbers of areas in the scripture that are spoken to, but the battle lines are in our minds, in our hearts, and uh, how we respond and our spiritual needs. And we're fighting against, with God's help, against dark influences that appeal to our own carnal nature and so forth. And um, so that's the nature of the battle. Uh, it's a spiritual battle. We're not, the battle isn't against flesh and blood, against other people. So we want, Paul wanted us to understand that. And then he comes to uh, the armor. He says, put on the armor. In verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And the the implicit truth there is that you will not be able to stand without this armor. In verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. We need God-provided armor and he said, take it. He said, put it on. It is necessary. You must have it to be a victorious uh, soldier. And he emphasizes, twice there we saw it, we need the whole armor, the complete armor, all the protection. What value is it if our head is protected, but our heart is completely exposed. You read about hackers and uh, who try to get into computers and, and how much money people are spending on security and, and businesses are spending thousands and thousands, even millions of dollars in the case of large businesses trying to defend their, their uh, computer systems and networks from hackers who want to come in and find a little loophole somewhere and, and get in there and find something they would, can make use of, credit cards, credit card account numbers, or information, or in some cases, a, a popular tactic has become ransomware, saying, okay, look, we've got your computer, and unless you pay us X amount of dollars, we'll pull the trigger and it'll erase everything on your hard drive or do some great calamity. And so that's a scary thing, number one, but uh, can be costly. And, um, or another approach is to get an email, and I'm sure you've all gotten them, an email that says, um, you want a prize, click here, or 
many other deceits, some very impure, uh, click here and see this or whatever. And then it will give them a track into your, into your computer. But strong security. We only have that if we have Christ, if we have the whole armor. In Romans 13, verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And a couple verses later, he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And I think that describes to us, um, that says what the armor is. And then he goes on and describes the, uh, spiritualizes the armor worn by a Roman soldier. And he had these different articles. And, and Paul may have been looking at watching one when he wrote this. In verse 20, he talks about his bonds and chains. But uh, talks about the loins girt with truth, a belt of truth. He talks about a breastplate of righteousness. Uh, in verse 15, sandals, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And uh, in verse 16, the shield of faith, a great shield. It was a big, big shield, about four feet long, covered with leather. leather. And the fifth one was in verse 17, the helmet of salvation. And then six, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit. So that was the first, uh, that's the first part of the armor that is both uh, defensive and offensive. And right connected with that, he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And thinking of Jesus, we, we uh, saw briefly how he prayed in the garden. But Jesus prayed in much of his ministry, Jesus spent many hours in prayer. Matthew 14, verse 23. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And in Mark 6, uh, this may be referring to the same place. Bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. In uh, another place, it says he went to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. In the early morning in Mark 1, Jesus got up and left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. In Luke 5, and Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. And he was praying alone one time, apparently within sight of the disciples. And they said, um, 
teach us to pray. Jesus prayed many, many times. And if Jesus prayed, if Jesus felt a need to pray, to commune with his Father in heaven, how, how much, well, I shouldn't say how much more, but it should emphasize to us how much we need to pray, to entreat God from a sincere and earnest heart in the power of the Spirit, in the Spirit. We should easily come to prayer. It should be natural to come to prayer, whether it's a problem, whether it's a sunrise, a petition or praise and worship. And what that does for us, it does so much for us. Notice... Uh, there at the end there, he says, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We'll not, we'll not spend time on that really, but uh, the prayer requests, of course, are certainly beyond just for us. We pray for each other. And I had to think about the soldiers, the Roman soldiers with those great shields out there on the battlefield. They would uh, line up shield to shield and just, it'd be like a wall of shields. It, um, if you saw any of those disturbing pictures from the last summer and these riots that have been going on, you would see uh, law enforcement with shields. I don't know that they were the size as large as the Roman shields, but I saw a number of pictures with them lined up with their shields close together to form a wall and a, a brotherhood together, uh, praying together and holding their shields uh, together and watching out for each other. It's a picture of strength where a group of people is wearing the full armor of God and fighting in this spiritual battle. Now, in this uh, passage, um, we see fighting words, fighting battle terms. But when we are prepared, when Christians are prepared for this battle, when Christians are fully armored and going in the strength of the Lord into this spiritual battle, they are less aggressive and less fierce in a fleshly sense, in a carnal sense, like Peter with his sword. You know, he didn't respond like Jesus did. Rather, he grabbed a sword and swung at the high priest and, and hacked off his ear. But the Christian who is armored, and going in the strength of the Lord is more loving, is more gentle, is more kind, and more caring of others, less selfish, less, less sensitive, less easily angered. 
than if he's unarmored. He's more peaceable. He's more often peacemaking. He's more patient. He's more tolerant. He's more meek and self-controlled. He's more like Jesus. A fully armored Christian knows more of Jesus' presence and power and protection and influence in his life So the Christian life is a battle. There's opposition. There's struggle. And we need to be prepared in order to overcome and be victorious until the end. I like the point that, uh, that Lowell made in our Sunday school class about salvation. It's not just a one-time event. It is an ongoing, it's an ongoing relationship with God. We are being saved, an ongoing uh, work of grace in our hearts. And the same, the same with this. It's, it's an ongoing battle. And to overcome, we need that saving relationship. We need the protection and power in battle. To be strong in the Lord um, in order to win the victories. It requires being prepared and equipped and faithful. So how do we put on that armor? We know how to put it on. It doesn't just pop on. It was, it's, I'll, I'll confess, it's more complicated than what, uh, I mean, it takes more time and effort and concentration than, say, David trying on Saul's armor. That was a simple article. He picked it up and he put it on. Didn't fit, of course. This one fits. But so he talked about the spirit, the sword of truth, the word of God. He talked about prayer, and I think those are such necessary parts of armoring ourselves. And then the heart of Jesus, I come to do thy will, O God. Not my will, but thine be done. To follow Jesus, to obey, to confess, to repent when we need to. And to make that a daily walk, we may not be thinking about armor. We may not be thinking about a shield of faith, but our faith is growing and there's protection there. And as our faith is growing and our assurance of salvation uh, is growing, we're, there's defenses there. And as our convictions grow and we see God's word as, as uh, God's, 
commands to us to follow and guidance to follow, we will take that seriously and obey him. There's defenses there. And that's what this uh, is describing. And I believe it's the walk that he's calling us to. And it's uh, the fully armored Christian walking in the strength of the Lord and the power of his might. And he will be victorious. Not in a way that brings glory to him, but that brings glory to God, that brings glory to Christ the Redeemer.